I became aware of this company. It was a nonprofit. It actually goes all the way back into high school when I just had like a little part-time gig working at a tanning salon and I would have customers come in for the tanning beds. And there were two girls that seemed so fun and full of life. And, you know, they had these pretty cars. And, you know, I find out that they worked for this nonprofit organization. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, that seems like the coolest job ever. And I was like 16, 17 at the time. Like, wow, that would be, I want to be that girl. Meet Stacy. Stacy tells me her story actually starts in high school when she was made aware of a large, nationally known nonprofit organization. The seed was planted that this organization would be the ideal career path for her. When I went away to school, I did actually intern at a different nonprofit organization, and I had a really great experience. And my first job out of college was awful. It was actually a different toxic workplace, very toxic, hated the job. I was miserable there and I was looking for anything. And lo and behold, I see a job posting come up for that nonprofit organization where those girls work. And actually the position was for replacing one of those girls. She was moving to another state and they were relocating her and her position was coming open. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is my dream job. This is my dream job. And again, I'm desperate to get out of my current work situation. And I'm like, I'll see you bitches later. Like I've made it, I've made it. A teenage dream had come to fruition. Stacy anticipated that a fulfilling career would soon unfold and she would be contributing to changing the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform for people to share their stories of working in a destructive environment. I spent the first seven years of my career within a toxic workplace, and let me tell you, it kills your spirit. This podcast is here to expose what goes wrong in these companies, and hopefully it'll spark a change to make it right. In this episode, we follow Stacy's story. Stacy landed a job at one of the largest, most reputable nonprofits in the United States. She envisioned an organization full of hope, opportunity, and prosperity, but would soon find herself in a clicky environment with bullying bosses and a mean girl vibe. It was described to me as more of an administrative role on a team, and we were all working towards one goal together, and I was just kind of a different part of that team, and my role was a little bit different on that team. And everyone had their own part to play and their own contributions to make on the team, and mine was going to be what my predecessor was doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And... They were very nice. It was the executive supervisor of the entire branch and then my direct, who became my direct supervisor. So it was both of them in the interview and they were both nice, but my answers were not the best and I felt that and the executive director was actually very pleasant the whole way through. My direct supervisor, I could tell was not really crazy about my answers. And I feel like she would kind of side-eye the executive a couple times. Like, you know, she wasn't really crazy about the answers that I was given. 
but kind of went with the flow anyway because the executive seemed to really like me. Despite the side-eye from her soon-to-be supervisor, Stacy got the job offer and she quickly accepted. And I even remember saying, like, this is the job I've been wanting. This is what I've been working for. I think I even said it was like, this is my dream job. This is what I went to school for. You get your own office. It was like, we're all going to have so much fun here. And like a big part of it was my first job out of school. The other toxic place was a big corporation. And that comes with, with its own things. But I really liked that this was a nonprofit because I felt like I was doing good with my time. Because as you know, you spend so much of your life at work. I felt like putting that time into something that matters and then I'm giving back to the community and to the world. And if I'm going to work this nine to five, I want it to be doing something for the greater good. And so I was also really excited about that thought prospect. At this point, Stacy has stars in her eyes and she's thrilled to be working downtown in the big city within a trendy area. She was excited to leave behind a previous toxic workplace and get to work at a place she thought was going to be a career game changer. They were definitely very nice girls. I should preface it. I think in the whole office of our branch, there was probably 25 people. There was only one male. So very female dominated, which actually is really interesting Because as I'll describe, that dynamic with all of those women turned out to be very catty. Whereas the job I was coming from was 20 girls and one guy in my sales department. And we got along great. Really, my coworkers at that place were the only good part of that job. I mean, we all got along. There was no backstabbing or anything versus this place where there was a ton of that. So... Anyway, they they were all very nice girls. They were definitely, like, surface nice. I never really felt like it was genuine or that I quite fit in, and I don't know why I felt that way. I felt like I couldn't really be myself, and I felt like when I was myself, they would, like, talk about me when I wasn't around type of things. It was almost like just to, like, make fun of me or something. And I don't know why I felt that way. And I don't have any evidence that, like, proves that. Or I don't have a story that I, like, walked in on them all <laughs> laughing at me. A gut instinct. And it was all just kind of, I didn't, like, I, I just didn't blend in. One thing that I found that was really important in the office, and not only in my department, but in all the departments of the entire place, was your marital status. And I was 24, 25 at the time and single, didn't have a boyfriend or anything. I think I was the only, literally only single person in the entire office. Everyone was married or had a serious boyfriend or engaged, but I would say 95% of them were married. I would say these girls were like anywhere from 28 to 32. So very, very young professionals They'd only been in the game maybe two or three years longer than I had, but all of them had husbands. So that was something that everyone kind of bonded over was their husband and and they're doing this and they're doing that. And and again, I was only 24, 25. And looking back, I remember thinking like, oh, I should be married by now. Stacy says the culture was catty, 
almost like a sorority house that she was trying to fit into. The office consisted almost entirely of young women, including her direct supervisor, who was only a few years older than her, who had the same degree and a similar background, yet Stacy felt like an outsider, like she had to be initiated before she could sit at the cool kid table. What brought these women together was the fact that they were all recently married. Stacy was happily single, having fun in her early 20s. Plans to settle down with a husband weren't her main priority. I feel like that was like a, maybe an insecurity of mine that I didn't have anything serious and they all did and that was all they talked about. So then it was kind of like, well, gosh, I need to find someone. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was a very, very important dynamic for them and something that they would constantly talk about. And, and yeah. you do feel left out when they talk about what their husband cooked the night before and what their... And by the way, I should mention... Only a handful of them had kids. Most of them were just married, no kids yet. I also feel like when there's a clique and you're not a part of it, you're really eager to please. So you're real trying to fit in. And if that means acting like super cool and like, yeah, nothing bothers me to get in. Stacy explains that marital status was so important to her fellow female co-workers that it became a sort of qualification to be accepted into the inner circle, as though having a husband somehow made someone more valuable or desirable. Without a husband, Stacy couldn't get into the clique, which wasn't really her priority. She just felt singled out by the rest of the group. My next question to Stacy was about her boss and what kind of leadership style she had. I think my first impression of her was like, oh, she's super cool to work for. Like, she seemed very, like, lax. And looking back on it, even, you know, working with her or under her for a year, I don't know. She never was the best fit to be a manager. It was like she was trying to be more of a friend than a leader or a manager, but somehow got that role as the manager. I really was kept in the dark on a lot of things. I do believe the executive who was in my initial interview would pick, and they do like to promote from within. So I I think she was promoted from within somehow, but she really wasn't there that much longer. I mean, it wasn't like she was a tenured employee. She was probably only there a year or two. Like I said, these girls only had maybe two, three years tops under their belts of... Of a professional career? Yeah. Okay. These girls had the same degree as me. They just graduated college in 05 and I graduated in 07. They were hired into these higher, quote, higher roles than I was. Okay. So had that role been open when you were applying... And you had the right connections there. Sure. You could have easily I been. I could have just been just fine. But again, I never, it was never described as being a lower position. And I never saw it as a lower position. And when I saw what that girl who I knew was doing, it never came off that way. So I was doing a different role from everyone else. Like I was more of the administrative and behind the scenes type of stuff. And I feel like even that in itself was very alienating because those girls were out on the road, quote, fundraising. But I think they were probably getting together for lunch and stuff. And I'm stuck back at the office emailing all of their team captains for them and things like that. So I felt like just this, 
the sense of their work hours versus my work hours or their work location versus my work location or just the fact that I'm the only one on the team doing this different set of tasks alienated me from everyone else right away. And then it became more and more obvious that I was like just kind of this assistant. Some of the work they would have me do, I thought, was intern level, which even as an intern, I don't think it's, I mean, this isn't New York City. <laughs> Devil words, Prada type of. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think it's ever okay to like have someone do right. your coffee runs. Yes, right. And Degrading. Correct. Yeah. So intern or not, I, I've never really believed. I mean, I can get my own. So what kinds of things would they have you do? I would have subway runs, like the sandwich, like subway, the sandwich runs. It was like my manager was in a meeting and she's like, we're really busy. Can you run and get us subway so we can like keep meeting? And then they didn't even offer me a sub. So I had to like <laughs> come back without a sub for myself. Like, Okay. Like, oh, and while you're out, just grab yourself yeah, something. and grab yourself something. That right. would have been a nice thing to say. Right. But no, it was like, here's what we want. And they already had it written down. Like, they knew I couldn't say no. So yeah. it's like, but I felt, like, embarrassed to even, like, you know, they called me into the office and all the eyes are looking on me. Like and the then, meeting room. Yes. And then we would have um, these big executives come in, like, quarterly to do these meetings and... They made it made such a big deal out of these meetings, but they would have me in the morning print out the menu of whatever lunch spot everyone <laughs> wanted. So if it was like Jimmy John's, they'd have me print out the Jimmy John's menu. And then it was just kind of like, hey, this is what you're going to need to do for this meeting to get it prepared. So you'll get everyone's lunch kind of going for everyone so we can all keep working right because we're doing the like important brainstorming part and so why weren't you included in the meeting i I mean i was I, i was i was in the meeting but i was taking the minutes i want to clarify here that stacy was not hired to be an assistant to the managers of this nonprofit organization She was hired as a marketing and communications professional that would do behind-the-scenes work to prepare for the annual fundraising event. At least, that's how it was explained to her in the interview. But the tasks and duties that were being handed to her felt more like errand runs. Stacy wanted to be seen as a team member, an equal contributor to a fundraising team where she could share her ideas and build camaraderie. The close proximity and age of her bosses and the other managers is relevant here because they all carried similar credentials, experience, and degrees. Yet, Stacy wasn't accepted into their inner circle, so she was treated as an outsider, as someone that could be easily bossed around because of her eagerness to be part of the team. Sort of like Anne Hathaway in Devil Wears Prada. And you know, that was the other thing. It was like, if you want to feel less than... Have some big wigs come in from another office and then you're handing out their food menu and then you're picking it up and leave and excusing yourself from the meeting to go order it online and then sneak back in and then you're grabbing everyone's menu. And then, you know, when Jimmy John's rings the doorbell, make sure you're kind of listening for that so you can go grab the door. <laughs> Here's the thing. I hated those meetings because it was, it was like the most embarrassing thing. Like... Like I said, if you want to feel less than... Right, degrading. Oh my God, degrading. You know, in hindsight, who was going to go get the lunches? 
right. for this big meeting. I don't know. I guess it could have been me, but like anyone, I mean, even the super, you know what? I run a company now. I get people's lunches yes. now. So you could have taken turns. Absolutely. You could have had the, you know, the manager do it as a manager. Now I do it for my staff. Absolutely. I take the Panera orders. No one should ever feel like they're a gopher person who has to drop everything to cater to someone else. This is low-grade bullying. Bullying in the sense that these managers are making Stacy feel like the eager intern by making her take orders for them. They're taking advantage of her newness to the company and their position of power over her. Instead of allowing her to sit at the table as a team member, she's standing in line at Subway while the meeting continues without her. Stacy's job revolved around an annual event. She was on a team of people who worked all year long to bring the annual event to life. Stacy was assigned to count the cash received by donors, a job that had little processes in place, and again, she was alone doing something that should have included layers of people to count the massive amounts of loose change. The big part of my job was collecting the money envelopes. I'm all good with collecting money envelopes and depositing it into the bank. We had one very large fundraising event that we worked on and it was so large that you had a whole team that would work on it for 12 months and then have this fundraiser and then do it all again. I'm all good with getting the cash, getting the checks, taking it to the bank. And so they were looking for someone who was able to handle money and be trustworthy with it. And I, I mean, it's tons of cash. I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars in cash that were coming in and you have to trust someone with it. I did know that I would be handling money. What I didn't know was that I would be handling bags of pennies and change. These girls would come back and literally drop off plastic grocery bags of change, loose change. All to you. To me. The team captains would turn in the money to our rep. That's what they're out running and getting. If they're saying there's 50 bucks in this envelope, to me, the director should have confirmed that there's 50 bucks in the envelope and then turned it into me. But instead, they're not confirming. I was in charge of confirming. I had to then confirm it with another girl who was not really on our team. So she would have to confirm. Well, we couldn't take anything to the bank unless our numbers matched. If our numbers didn't match, we had to sit there with thousands, tens of thousands of dollars and try and find the discrepancy. So I was sitting there literally rolling pennies and quarters and nickels into rolls. The money would trickle in a couple months before. You'd have a couple checks here, a couple checks there. The closer it gets, the more people fundraise and go, oh, yeah. You know, here's all our money. So then it starts coming in in like droves. And my boss comes in one day and is like, I got you something special. And I'm like, what? It was like a change sorting machine, but like a kid's one. So like it wouldn't (laughs) count them right because I would then have to, I'd be like nervous. So I would like double check what the machine was saying and the machine would be wrong because it was a toy. It was like a kid's toy. It was junk. It was, it would get stuck and like, so that didn't help. And so anything that you didn't process that day or that you didn't deposit in the bank would have to go into the safe downstairs. Well, first of all, 
my boss isn't ever asking any questions on all of this money or how are you doing with it? Or, hey, did you ever get through that whole bag of change that I saw Brooklyn drop off? Because that looked like a lot of change. Did you get through all of that? I would have said, no, I didn't. Not only were we counting money, I had other things that I was getting ready. I mean, I had to get the newsletter out and I had to, whatever I was doing, this was just on top of it. And it was never once said, like, this all needs to be done by a certain date or let me know if you can't get it all done. Again, she's seen all this money come in. She sees how the cash, huge amounts of cash and checks. I was never given a date that all of the money needed deposited or all of these checks need processed or anything like that. I was just told whatever you don't get to put in the safe and get to it later. So come to find out the day or two before the event, you know, they're looking at how much money is there and they're like, this doesn't seem like enough. And then I'm like, Oh, well there's a ton of money in the safe that I haven't processed yet. And it was like, what? So Apparently, she went and talked to her supervisor about it because apparently I did, I didn't even know it, but I did something wrong type of thing. After her boss discussed the money situation with her supervisor, she confronted Stacy about the cash not being completely deposited into the bank just days before their annual event. Stacy said she was blindsided. She said she didn't receive any instruction from her boss as to when the money was supposed to be deposited. In fact, when she started her job, her boss told her that she should just do what she can. There was no clear communication as to the expectations of the loose change other than to do her best and to get it done while juggling all of her other duties. So she, the day of the event, has me stay back at the office to like get all of this money out of the safe with a couple of the other girls that are in the office. Now my admin who was double checking my checks and balances this whole time was able to go to the event and, you know, was texting me and, oh, it's a great time here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, well, why isn't she back with me? Why is she allowed to go? Which she had also gotten like a little mini promotion, by the way, at that point. So it was kind of like, you know, now she's in. The other admin got a promotion because she was finally in with the inner circle. So it was like me back at the office. I was so upset. It was, I missed like half the event and I was just trying to like rush through it so I could get there because it was like everything I had worked for. And it was embarrassing because they had to grab people from other departments to stay back and help with all of this like cash. It was almost like a Stacy fucked up everyone and has tens of thousands of dollars in the safe so you guys are gonna have to stay back and help her count all of this money while literally the whole office is down at this event you five i think maybe four or five people had to stay back and like count it all and it was very known that it was like because i didn't do my job Stacy wasn't able to participate in the event that her entire job revolved around all because of a lack of communication from her boss who was, of course, at the event while Stacy stayed back to count the change, a true leader would have realized their lack of communication and would have checked in to help Stacy weeks before the event took place to make sure everything was ready. Don't forget here that Stacy was new. She hadn't been there a full year, and this was her first big event. Instead of enjoying the fruits of her labor, she had to hang back at the ranch while she felt humiliated and as though she let her teammates down. 
A good leader would have taken ownership of the lack of processes and communication and wouldn't have let Stacy take the humiliation on her shoulders. Stacy says that she wasn't the only one who wasn't part of the inner ring. There was another person in the office in a similar role that was blatantly disrespected by their manager. The other admin, the girl that would do the checks and balances with me, was targeted probably worse than I was, believe it or not. She worked more with another girl. This girl was on my team, but also more of like her boss. It was a weird situation, but she was nasty and very degrading, very degrading to my friend. Treated her like the scum of the earth. And my direct supervisor, who was in charge of both of them, knew what was going on, saw it happening, never said a word. Let it happen. And I was turned off at the fact that she would... I always turn a blind eye. The one that sticks out in my mind the most was... The director had spilled her own Starbucks on her desk and was literally screaming in the office. Everyone heard it. Everyone heard it. Screaming Sarah's name, my friend. She, Sarah to, was the other admin. Yes. Mm-hmm. To get in, to get paper towels and get in there and clean up her desk. So instead of her getting up and grabbing paper towels. She was literally screaming, Sarah, Sarah, I need paper towels, Sarah, in that nasty tone as well. Like, I'm not even exaggerating that nasty tone. And I remember telling her, do not get up and get those paper towels. I do not. It's not right. And that was just, you know, she was nasty like that all the time. I mean, all the time. She had a city misspelled on a newsletter and she was so nasty about that like how could you ever there's there's only one l there's not two like bad like she was downright mean first of all everyone heard her yelling her name including my boss why she never had to sit down with her to say you can't you don't have that kind of power Mm -hmm. you know and she really did use that abuse And it really went to her head. And I don't know what it was that she and my boss had some kind of friendship or it was a click. There's no question. Clicks enable bullying. The people within the click are restrained by the fear of being rejected by the click. So members turn a blind eye instead of standing up for things that they know are wrong. They allow bullying to happen, which poisons a company culture. I think that was the fear tactic of like, I'm not going to say anything because I want to fit in with these girls really bad. And I can tell that I don't fit in with them, which is weird because I normally do fit in with people. I got to find a way to like fit in with everyone. I would say it took about six months for me to realize that maybe eight to nine months in, I started asking if I could go into a different department. I felt like the other departments seemed a little more positive. I felt like I could grow a little bit more. I felt like I was really unhappy and stifled in the department that I was in. And I saw a lot of opportunities. Again, this was a huge, this is a, this is maybe the biggest or one of the probably top three largest nonprofits in the United States, literally. So I'm like, God, I mean, there's so many opportunities for me to grow my career at this place. If this isn't the right spot for me, then gosh, move me somewhere else and let's see if I can shine. 
And it was probably, like I said, eight or nine months in. And I did ask for a transfer and they said no. They said I wasn't ready for it and I wasn't cut out for it. Just that they would work with me a little bit more in that department. Stacy had to go through her boss to request a transfer because ultimately her boss made the final decision of whether Stacy could move departments. If the office is run by leadership cliques that abuse their power, then the fate of Stacy's career within this organization lies within the hand of her supervisor, who has proven she's not a leader. This makes all the more sense why people would be striving to be accepted by the clique. This striving for approval is fear-based, which makes outsiders easy targets to bully. I probably would have done a lot of things in that role differently and more maturely. Again, I'm 24, 25 years old. I'm very new into the career world and I'm not totally sure of myself. I was not given any opportunity to shine at all. One of my biggest points was that I had gone to this nonprofit because I wanted to be doing better for the world. And I've never seen such money hungry, greedy people in my whole life. I felt like there was no heart behind any of it. I never heard any like survivor stories. Very phony, very like, oh yeah, well we need we need a heartwarming story for everyone. It wasn't, oh my gosh, this family is so special and let me tell you why and I'm gonna have them come in and meet everyone. Like it was none of that. It was it was how much money, how much money did it bring in? How much what's our goal for next year? And this isn't a new nonprofit by any means, but it it got bigger than big. And when you get that big, you do start to lose touch with what is going on at all of your branches. And it was so corporate. There was just no heart or passion. To me, that was one of the largest issues on every level. I did visit one other location a couple hours away from ours, and you couldn't get a sense in a day of what it was like. But I do remember thinking like they even seemed happier than our office did. And I I just think there was a culture, but in our office specifically, there was such an abuse of power and such a hierarchy. It made it such a cold environment. It was all fake, all surface, no heart on any level between coworkers, between volunteers, between survivors. When I see the disgusting way that they allow managers to treat Mm -hmm. people, I just think there's better. There's people out there that work their butts off in nonprofit or in a cause that they believe in, and they are tirelessly putting in the hours. I never felt like these girls worked very hard. I never felt like they cared, and I never felt like they were really putting in effort. I really, truly didn't. I felt like they were kind of going through the motions, and they would clock out at 2 or 3 o'clock, and that was good enough. And I, I never really felt... Like anyone was really putting their heart and soul into that role or into that mission or anything ever. I really didn't, you know, and even when the bigwigs would come into town, those were all about how are we going to make our goal, but they would throw out a company's name and then they would say, okay, what's their goal? And they would say, their goal is 50,000. And they would say, can we make it 80? And they would say, sure. We'll push for 80. Okay, cool. Next. And that was what drove the whole place. There was no, I mean, it was literally, I mean, and yeah, it's a business. 
When an organization starts focusing solely on the profitability of a company, they develop blinders and the numbers become more important than the human element. If a company doesn't value their people, you better believe it's going to be felt. It will create a discord within the culture. Employees will be unfulfilled and eventually leave. If they stay, it's out of fear because they're part of a clique where they feel accepted, yet they're the ones generating a toxic workplace. If I could do it again, I wish I was the person I am now. I'm the same person, but more mature and more self-assured. And at that age, or just anyone who's like a new person in a career, you are so eager to please that sometimes you can like lose yourself. And I would say to like follow your gut and your intuition and to be yourself and then to be confident in yourself. Hopefully they hired you because they thought you would be a good fit and a great asset to the team for who you are and for being yourself. When you try to be anything but, I feel like your work suffers, your quality of work suffers. To me, my biggest thing was just being more confident in myself and then how I was feeling and the way I was feeling was correct. And I I do have, I mean, looking back on it, I have every right to feel that way. But at the time I kept thinking, well, if I could just be okay with getting everyone's lunches. Part of it was just that I was so young and I say it now to my employees, I'm not above anything. I'm out sweeping floors and vacuuming rugs, and I'm not even kidding, and scrubbing toilets. I'm not above a damn thing, and no one should ever feel that way. And Mm -hmm. if you do, then you've got an issue, in my opinion. I I don't ever ask my (laughs) employees to do any of those things. I just do them myself. It's, It's just not right. Be yourself. Stick up for what you believe in. Feeding into power clicks doesn't serve anyone involved. Employees should lift each other up, not tear each other down. What the bigwigs at the nonprofit were missing is that an empowered human element within a company is the key to profitability. And that can't be measured on a spreadsheet. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you.